0: Hello there, I'm Eli, your friendly neighborhood DM, and I am here with Brent, who plays Dante.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: So we dove straight into our last arc, and in this episode, we're going to take a little bit of a step back to get to know our heroes and the folks who play them. So before we dive in, do you want to tell me about yourself? Brent, where do you live? Uh, Are you like Dante at all? And tell me about your D&D experience.
1: Uh, Hello, everyone. My name is Brent Bynum. And uh, I am currently 32 years old. Um, I live in Boulder, Colorado. Um, I currently go to school at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And um, my interests are automobiles and playing music. And I am nothing at all in any form or fashion like Dante. I wish I could be like Dante, I guess. But sometimes not so much. And my experience, I played a couple of D and D back in the day, but I had no idea what I was doing. I was a kid. There were some, you know, folks I think at my church that played, and that was about it. You know. So decided to give it a shot. Fair
0: enough. And uh, what's your relationship to me? How did you join this group?
1: Uh, so I would like to inform everyone that me and Eli are dating. So yeah, she, I actually, technically, I think one of my friends, um, mentioned to me to listen to the adventure zone and I checked it out and I was like, Eli, you should listen to this. And she goes, Oh no, you're not one of those people. Are you? And I said, Oh, okay. And I left it alone, and I just was listening to it in my car or something else. Next thing you know, she's like, "This is the best thing I've ever heard. Wish you'd do the idea! Oh my god!" And that kind of went from there. And you it's know, it's true.
0: I I am now one of those people.
1: Mm. Right. I
0: think it was one of those things where I felt like I had to avoid it because I didn't. I wasn't ready to like it at the time. I I did the same thing with uh, World of Warcraft. When I was 16, I I vividly remember holding the box in my hands at like a GameStop and being like, am I ready to be this person? And I put it back and I was like, I am not ready to be this person. And I've never touched World of Warcraft since, or ever, to be honest. So with that said, I I think that's enough of a review of you. Can people find you online?
1: At this moment, I am only on Facebook and Instagram. I normally use Instagram more than Facebook uh, to communicate, but it is B-R-B-Y-N-U-M.
0: So, at B-R-Bynum. Got it.
1: B-R-Bynum. No spaces, no dashes, no capitals, nothing's fancy.
0: Don't freak out. Just type it in. Yep. Okay. So, we've talked a little bit in the last couple weeks about what we wanted to do for getting to know Dante better and filling out that character. And so I've had a couple conversations with Brent and crafted a little bit of a small scene just to get to know a little bit of Dante's backstory and help us understand maybe where he's coming from when he's ha ha into a cave with a sword or whatever. So without much further ado, let's do it. You ready?
1: Yes, ma'am. Take me to Flavortown.
0: All right. Dante, it's a little more than a year ago before you ever came to Falcon's Hollow. You're in the room that you've lived in for the past few years, a small and clean stone room in a fortress that protects the town of Vindication where you were raised from a foundling into the champion you are today. It's morning in the early summer. You finished bathing, and you're putting on your very finest clothing. Can you describe to me your clothing that you're putting on? It's your, it's your nicest.
1: Just curious. When you say nicest, do you mean like fancy boy clothes or like nicest armor? You got to give me a little more. Your fancy. Fancy boy clothes. Great. So Dante has a very... We're going to say large blue robe with golden trim around the hands and a piece of golden rope around his waist to kind of tidy up the outfit.
0: Yeah, you have to have uh, your curves and your, your best features showing.
1: Oh, and he also has a little brooch that he puts up on his collar that is of Ray.
0: Excellent. All right. So... You finish dressing and you hear a bell tower ring outside your window. And right around then, there's a knock at your door.
1: Coming one
0: second. Hey, Dante, you ready? And standing in front of you is Mona. She's a human who at 27 is only a few years younger than you. And similar to you, she was also raised in this church. So you guys go back as far as you can remember she is wearing a ceremonial white and gold robe with a golden chain around her waist and her hair is tied up also with like a golden ribbon. You know, I couldn't believe it when they told me, but Lorenzo always was one of our strongest.
1: Yes, indeed he was. I think I'm ready. Uh, Let me just check real quick. I'm ready.
0: You follow Mona down a series of corridors and into the attached grand chapel, a recently finished marvel to the grace of the Everlight and a monument to the peace that her warriors have helped bring about in this mountainous land. Under a huge dome of polished white marble, seats arranged in concentric circles face the middle of the room. In the center, there's a wooden platform holding the body of a human man who looks to be about 50. His salt-and-pepper hair is cropped short, and he is wrapped in a vivid blue cloak— a sacred color reserved for the holiest of occasions, and the cloak is embroidered with a symbol of a flower within the sun. Long, deep claw marks crisscross what skin of his that you can see. A golden coin has been placed on each eye. The room is quiet, and after you walk in, the local figureheads of the church, each wearing their finery, come to pay their respects. So what do you do upon seeing your mentor, Lorenzo, in the church?
1: I would like to say that Dante starts to tear up a little bit, but tries to keep his, you know, his happy form of the normal Dante. You know, haha! But it, it's kind of a serious moment for him.
0: So there's a little bit of a crack in his armor.
1: Totally. Okay.
0: The most senior member of your church is Sandro. He's about 65, and he's got shoulder-length white hair. He's also a human. Almost everybody in this entire area are humans, with a few exceptions, you being one of them. He's wearing a sunburst crown, and he's carrying the holy text, The Birth of Light and Truth. When he enters, the hushed murmurs of the room fall into silence. The funeral is about to begin. Sandro stands up at the podium, and he starts to speak. Today we send the spirit of the Everlight's most devoted servant, Lorenzo, to Nirvana. In his long life, he spread the grace of Saren Ray to countless lost souls. Within our order, he fought against the green hordes of the orcish realms, and he helped establish vindication as a safe haven for all those who lost their homes during the long and bloody Black War. That for so many years, tore this countryside apart. And as he says this, you can feel like eyes burning into you, like people are all staring at you.
1: I think, I'm, I think he's going to keep his form and, you know, not, get, not be looking around, be focusing on what the priest is saying, because he understands that there is still possibly, you know, prejudice and, uh, against his kind or you know,
0: Definitely. And so Sandra keeps going. After the peace settled in this region, Lorenzo arose to the mission of the Dawnflower Anchorites, wandering the wilds to bring redemption to those who stray from her path. It was in pursuit of this mission that he died at the hands of foul undead. Let us send him off as a martyr. And so as he says that, you you hear kind of a rising of trumpets. There's like an ongoing music... Now, as the ceremony begins, and Mona turns to you and she whispers. At the hand of Fallon dead, he said, that's what they're all saying. Why will they never elaborate? It's really strange to me.
1: It's best not to dwell on these things.
0: So the funeral goers start to form a line, and this is the traditional ceremony of a martyr in your church. So one by one, they carry a log to place upon the pyre underneath the, the platform that Lorenzo is placed upon. So you're standing in line and there's a pile of logs to put underneath him. And so you're holding one of the logs. Can you give me a religion check?
1: I have a 15.
0: Great, excellent. So with a 15, Dante basically stands in line. He's being as normal as you can be at the funeral of like the one person that you actually love. And he grabs one of the logs, goes up to the front, places it. And do you do anything special as part of you saying goodbye?
1: I definitely want to say, you know, maybe a couple of words being like, thank you for being my mentor. May Ray guide you onto your next path. I also want to add that I want to throw something else along with the log into it. Okay, go for it. What is it? Dante puts his log down, and from out his cloak, he pulls out a white rose that he lays upon Lorenzo's cloak and walks away.
0: All right. When it's Mona's turn, she comes up to the front. She puts her log on the pyre. And then she draws her scimitar and she kneels, whispering something under her breath before standing and marching out of the room, out of the funeral.
1: That's a little weird. I think Dante noticed this and is curious. I think he's going to follow her.
0: Okay. So you're going to skip the ending of the funeral?
1: Oh shit. Maybe not. Hmm. This is a tough one. Dante is intrigued, but I think he'll stay. Okay. Maybe she got emotional or something.
0: Definitely. Okay. Alright, so once each person puts the log on the fire, the last person goes. That's when Sandro grabs a torch and he lights the fire and the group of mourners watches. the room fills with thick wood smoke. It gets thicker and thicker as the whole thing starts to burn and you're indoors and... Tears start to prick at your eyes. The smoke becomes so thick that it's actually difficult to breathe. And finally, after this is like almost unbearable, and you're just filled with this scent of like wood smoke, and then it's burning flesh, then you hear Sandro call out from back behind his podium, kind of almost coughing. He goes, With her light! And he pulls a lever, and the dome... Above the platform opens, rapidly venting all of the smoke upward so that you are dazzled by the sun for a moment, which is pouring down into the chapel. And all the sunlight is reflected off of these golden mirrors that are hanging above the center of the chapel so that it's concentrated on the congregation. A single beam also hits this golden statue of the goddess herself that is suspended above the pyre. And all the smoke clears out, and you like are hit with a rush of air, like you can breathe again. And everybody is looking at this glimmering golden statue of the goddess herself, suspended up in the air. How's Dante doing?
1: Dante is now actively bawling and crying as he's like, "Praise Seren Ray and farewell Lorenzo." Describe
0: to me this cry. Is he ugly crying? Or is he the silent, tears-down-the-face kind of guy?
1: I would say that he's a silent, tears-down-the-face. He's not an overly... He's a dramatic person, but in serious moments, he's not so dramatic, as you would expect. He is definitely looking at the the statue and, you know, watching this smoke clear out of the room. And he just very moved. Lots of tears coming down his face, but he's not... <laughs> You know, it's not that. It's not that.
0: So the musicians finish the song that they're playing and that signals pretty much the end of the funeral. The pyre continues to burn as the funeral goers start to shuffle out. And as they're shuffling out, Sandro gets out of the the crowd and he, he finds you and he approaches you. He's shorter than you by about a foot. So you're kind of eye to eye with his crown That's in the shape of a sunburst uh, behind his head. And he, he grabs your arm in a friendly way. He pats you on the back and motions for you to lean down so that he can talk to you because you're so much taller than him.
1: Well, Dante leans down.
0: Yeah. Dante, I have something for you. And he reaches into his pocket and fishes out a small but thick journal wrapped in leather. This was Lorenzo's. He would have wanted you to have it.
1: Oh, oh, oh my gosh, I, I, this was his This was his side journal. I remember him writing it a couple of nights, but uh, do you know what's in it?
0: It's, it's his life's work, in a sense. He wasn't a man who had many things, but this was the most important thing to him, other than you and Mona. And so... He he really would have wanted you to have it, I think. And yes. so he hands it to you, yeah. and he pats you on the arm and kind of starts to shuffle away.
1: I guess Dante, you know, takes a look at it and, you know, folds the leather apart and opens the book to kind of do a quick scan of it. You know, nothing nothing crazy, just to get an idea of what's inside.
0: So if you look at it, what you'll find is that first half of the notebook is just drawings of creatures that Lorenzo saw, stuff that he fought, notes written about them. Curiously, though, the last few pages are hand drawn maps that are not labeled, so it's difficult to make kind of like heads or tails of them. It's unclear what these are maps of. And when you look at the maps, you start to pick up a pattern of like a Y shaped fork with an X near it. Hmm. It could be a road, it could be a river. It's, it's. I mean, just kind of a crude map.
1: Gotcha. So that like, I couldn't do any check to maybe try to figure that out, or?
0: You could do a check for, you could try doing a knowledge local check.
1: Then it's just a straight up and down. It's a
0: straight up and down, yep.
1: I got a 15.
0: All right, a 15, the best you can do is literally like, this looks like it could be a road or a river. Okay. It's a fork in something, okay. but not enough information to go off of.
1: Perfect. It was worth a shot.
0: As you finish looking at it, you realize Sandro shuffled only a couple of feet and then he was watching you and he he looks at you and just says, Dante, know this. You are no longer a child. Go with her light. And then he actually leaves. Hmm.
1: Uh, I would just like to everyone know that Dante is like 33. <laughs> exactly. So he's definitely not a child
0: exactly. anymore,
1: but I'll take it. Old man. He's Sandro.
0: Sandro is like, he's 65, but he has the soul of a 165 I get ya, year old. You old know what soul, I mean? Yeah.
1: Okay. And I say thank you, Sandro.
0: All right. Uh, so the funeral is over. Almost everyone has left. The f- The fire's still going, but traditionally you would leave at this point.
1: What you doing? I would like to walk outside and follow the path that Mona had taken earlier.
0: All right. So as you walk outside, you see Mona on a bench in a courtyard. The courtyard that's just outside of the this main chapel, so she didn't get very far. And there's a fountain in the courtyard... And she's kind of sitting on this bench next to the fountain. And she's gazing at her reflection in her scimitar when you walk up.
1: Mona, where'd you run off to? Here. What's going on? How do you feel?
0: (sighs) When I got up there, I... I just couldn't believe it. And so... I told him I'd join this order. His order. The Anchorites. I'll work really hard. I'll become one myself. It'll take me years, but I, I, I think I can make it in his memory
1: You must know that, you know, Lorenzo believed in you And there's a reason why he set you on this path So don't have any doubt, he's watching over you, along with Saren Ray.
0: Thank you, Dante, that really helps
1: I hope so Now, let's go get something to drink and possibly eat I'm famished Would you like to join me?
0: You know what, Dante? I'll come for a drink, but I'm sorry if I'm not the most sunny company right now.
1: That's okay. I'm happy to have one of my last family members around.
0: All right, so you go to a...
1: Wipe single tear.
0: I know, right? (laughs) So you go to a nearby pub and have a drink with Mona. And think about the best times that you had with... Lorenzo and it's kind of a a grim occasion where you are remembering him and honoring his memory and telling stories and trying to heal together. And eventually the two of you walk back to your room. And when you return to your room, she she says she's got something for you and that she'll be back in a moment.
1: Dante has a seat in his In his chamber, and flips through the notebook, that, uh, or Lorenzo's journal. Again, just scanning to see if he notices anything else.
0: So, she comes back a couple minutes later, and she's got a birdcage in her hand. It's a gilded cage with a young raven inside. And she puts it in the front and center of your room, basically. She says, Dante, I want you to take this. I just got this raven. I was hoping that you could take care of it and remember me by it when I'm gone.
1: Oh my gosh. Uh, thank you very much. I will try to take care of it the best ability I can.
0: I, I really the, what, appreciate that. What
1: is, what is this raven's name?
0: I, you know, I haven't named it yet, but I feel like... Uh, you know, we can spitball some names right now, but I, I kind of have to go. Uh, I think that there's a, a carriage that'll take me to the next city and I can be on my way fairly soon.
1: Okay. We shall, I, I shall mean, name it.
0: Spitballing, we could call it like uh,
1: Talon. Yeah. N- Old Big Beak. Fluffy. Old Fluffer. Noodle. Old Flyboy.
0: Black Sky, Midnight, Black Claw, Copernicus, Mm. Mr. Ravenbutt,
1: Mm -hmm. Mr. Ravenbutt,
0: I've been between Copernicus and Mr. Ravenbutt for the last, you know, three weeks that I've had it, so uh, I'll leave it up to you, okay?
1: Okay, sounds good, I'll figure something out farewell on your journey it was good to see you and I have one last gift for you and Dante pulls off the brooch that he had on his robe and hands it to her or pins it on her and um, say may you remember me by this brooch
0: thanks Dante I really appreciate it be well and she leaves
1: what shall I name this raven Dante says to himself aloud.
0: And so Dante spent the rest of the day with a young raven in his room, grieving the loss of his mentor.
1: (laughs) Ha ha, I figured out a name. I shall name you Enzo. Enzo.
0: So, hi, we are here with Lauren, who plays
2: Shira. Hi, everyone. My name is Lauren. I currently live out in San Francisco, actually more in Oakland, realistically. But I work in San Francisco as like a risk management consultant. I've been out here for about three years. And before that, I knew Eli and Sarah through college. We decided to start playing D&D for Eli's birthday one year. And we've kind of kept going since. This is the first group that I've played D&D with. Shira is the first character that I've created. As such, I feel like she's probably not a particularly exciting character in some ways i'm kind of figuring out the mechanics figuring out the the tweaks and sort of how to create a good character she's a little like me in some ways i think we actually have the same alignment i consider myself a lawful neutral and i think that shira is in the same boat i think that she's probably a character who will evolve She's kind of a blank slate to me, but I'm excited to kind of flesh out some of her background in this session with Eli.
0: It's last summer, and Shira's hunting for her bow and quiver in her bedroom, where she's lived most of her life. Her house is a stone two-story construction in the busy mercantile district of Almas, the capital of Andorran, where your family operates a pottery shop on the ground floor and lives above. You've grown up with a steady hum of shoppers walking along the cobbled streets and your parents focusing every waking moment on their one and only true child, their pottery business. Today is a muggy summer day. It'll be perfect for pursuing your training. So... Let's start by telling me what Shira's bedroom looks like.
2: So Shira's bedroom is a little small and it's kind of sparsely furnished. Yeah, it's kind of messy. She's got a desk, she's got a bed, she's got a bookshelf. She's got stuff out on the desk, but it's it's like not messy enough
0: that there's stuff on the floor. So do you think she knows where her bow and uh, arrow are immediately, or does she have to like dig through her closet? Her bow and arrow
2: are kind of her escape from her daily life. She likes to go out to the woods with them, and, you know, her parents know about them, but they don't really know how much she uses them or cares about them. So she kind of keeps them squirreled away
0: under her bed. Okay. You find your equipment, and you're almost ready to head to your secret hideout in the woods that's just outside the city. Before that though, you're going to need a few broken pots from the storeroom out back for target practice. So give me a stealth check for, and I'm gonna apply this roll to a couple of actions. So if you have your sheet, just do a standard stealth check. I've adjusted the numbers to make it work. Okay. Yeah, I got an 18. All right, so you sneak down the stairs soundlessly the back foyer of the structure and as you're listening at the back door of the shop you can hear your mother selling a pair of goblets to a customer in the room facing the street behind the foyer and across the street is your father's pottery workshop it's across like a small alley and attached to the pottery workshop is the kiln's storeroom where all the wares are laid out a lot of them are put there because they're ready to be glazed or they're still in the process of drying, something like that. And so you're going to go back there, and that's where you're planning to get your extra targets for target practice. So you come to the kiln room, your father is out, and there is a lock on the storeroom door. Let's get a lock picking check, unless you're going to do some other method to get in.
2: No, I think lock
0: picking is what I would do. Cool. 12. Okay, perfect. So you have a lockpick with you. You're gonna jiggle it and it takes you kind of a while to get it done. So you're probably checking around you to make sure that your parents don't just like show up behind you. But you do manage to get it open after some nerve-wracking moments. And once you're inside, there's a bunch of pots uh, that are in one side of the shelf that are kind of uneven or they're cracked they're they're sort of the throwaway pile about how many are you gonna grab
2: um we're gonna go with four
0: all right so you grab those four and lock up behind you and you're gonna slip into the street unseen and i'm just applying your stealth check to a couple of things here You make it to the edge of the street, you check both ways to make sure your mom isn't looking out the front window and she doesn't see you and slip beyond her and travel beyond the merchant's quarter to the edge of the city. Just beyond the edge of the city, there's a bridge that crosses a river and that's sort of what demarcates the, the edge of the city and goes into the countryside. So you cross over that and slip into the woods on the other side. You push into this thick grove of trees, and it starts to get so thick that it it seems almost like you couldn't travel through it. And once you push just beyond this, there's a clearing, and that's your secret hideout. Perfect because it's so close to town and close to the main road, and yet at the same time, it's totally hidden. On one side of the clearing, you've set up a few stumps, and it's just littered with broken arrows, shattered pottery, and the other side of the clearing has uh, a like a small tent and just a couple of supplies that you've put out there. So what are you going to do here at your secret hideout?
2: I'm going to kind of, number one, take a big sigh and relax. This is sort of my haven. Um, and then I'm going to set up the first pot on the uh, stump, and get down to business of shattering some pottery. <laughs> Hell
0: yeah! All right, give me four because you have four pots with you. Give me four, just straight up and down, like AC rolls. Okay, D twenty. Yeah, like a D twenty. As though you're attacking it, but there's no real damage. Okay. There.
2: The first roll's an eighteen. Okay. Second roll is a 20.
0: Fucking hell, dude. Third roll is a 7. All right. And fourth is an 18. Okay, so you're, like, in the zone. You set up your first pot, take 50 paces back, you aim, you shoot, and it just absolutely, like, hits it dead on so beautifully that you're actually sort of, like, really feeling the vibe. So you go and set up your next one. Take 50 paces, you hit it again, and it's perfect. And so this gives you the idea to maybe go a little bit further away. So you take, let's say, 75 paces this time, and you aim it, and absolutely with. And as you're going to set up your next pot you hear a yelp coming from the woods that are between your hideout and the road. You hear, By Abadar, there's a miscreant in these trees. (laughs) Hear me, miscreant? If you wish to rob me, I only have a reasonable amount of gold. Do I hear any noises like this
2: this very sensible traveler is trying to come and find me, or are they just kind of
0: like hanging out on the road like... It sounds like they are maybe a couple steps into the, like, they're, they're closer than the road. Okay. They don't seem to be moving much, and you hear a very gentle splash. Since
2: I'm thinking that, like, they might not come all the way into the woods, and I kind of don't want to deal with them, I might try and just climb a tree to see if I can see them,
0: mm-hmm. but stay hidden. Okay, give me an acrobatics check to climb that tree. Sure.
2: It's a 17 on the die.
0: So with that, you're gonna be able to climb this tree super easily. This is like your skill set, basically. So you hop into this tree and through the trees you can sort of see a person. Uh, but they're fairly far off. They're they're probably 50, 60 yards off, so it's not like so close. You can imagine that your arrow probably landed somewhere near them, and so they probably got surprised. The other thing that you can tell is that it's a it's a dude, and he's for sure whizzing in the woods. <laughs> because as you've climbed up very stealthily and quietly, you hear the whiz splash on the wind.
2: <laughs> Such a musical phrase um cool (laughs) cool cool
0: so it sounds like i think you're gonna probably wait it out is that right yeah so eventually this whizzer finishes their business and you hear him talk to somebody behind him you can't see and he he says i shall not be cowed but i am also leaving and i hope you do not follow me but if you do, I do have a bodyguard. Be warned. And then this person leaves in a normal way, doesn't disappear in, a, in any special way. Great. What are you going to do?
2: I'm going to laugh to myself and then, like, climb down the tree and go back to my hideout.
0: Okay, so you return to your hideout. And I imagine you've set up your, your final pot to shoot. Yes. And on that one, you, at 75 yards, and you're feeling like you just crushed it. You're feeling like you're feeling yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Come mid-afternoon, you've exhausted your supply of pots, and you decide to head back home after refletching any of your arrows, saving any of them that you could find in the woods. And you recall that the night before, your mother had said... There'd be important guests for dinner, so you decide. Okay, I guess I should go home and wash up. Mm-hmm. Once you have gotten home, you've washed up, and you are going to put on your finest clothes that you have. Uh, would you like to describe those for me? Yeah,
2: I've been reading Outlander lately, so they might be a little tinged with Scottish Highland stuff, but fantastic. You know, I've got my random shift, but then I'm I've got a. a full length skirt and it's it's blue in color. It's sort of a light blue. It's not like super nice fabric or anything, but it's sturdy and it's like clean. And then I've also got sort of a fitted blue bodice with a sort of peasant's shirt underneath that goes down to about my elbows, even though it's summery and humid. Mm-hmm. And then I've got some nice leather shoes that I got from one of our our merchant friends down the road after we did a favor for him.
0: Nice. So you finish getting dressed. You're like lacing up the the bodice or whatever uh, your final touches are. And you hear a knock at the door and your mother is the one knocking. Oh, hey, you in there? Hey, mom. What's up? You decent? Can I come in?
2: Yeah, sure. Come on in, mom.
0: And she comes in. And she's like appraising the way that you look and fusses with your hair a little bit. And she says, oh, hey, look at you. I think this will do, Shira. I want you on your best behavior tonight. We've got a very important guest for business. And I think you'll find them very interesting. But I do want you to just keep in mind these are important merchant folk. And I don't want any discussion of wandering in the woods or any other such hogwash. I just want us to have a nice dinner as a family. Okay. Okay, mom. I think I can do that. She finishes her little speech and continues to like, you know, braid your hair maybe a little bit or brush it out. And you head to the dining table and hear a carriage pull up outside. You hear some voices that are talking with your father So your mother is standing by the door in anticipation. She's smoothing out her skirt. She's like brushing, um, you know, brushing any crumbs or any specks of dust off of it. And uh, and just like waiting for the door to open. What are you doing?
2: I'm kind of like staring off into space, not really interested. Um, And like maybe fiddling with like a piece of my dress or something, but I'm really not paying attention to whoever it is who's coming through the door.
0: The door opens and in walks an impressive older man with gray mutton chops, wearing the finest purple tunic you've ever seen that is embroidered in gold. Behind him is a boy dressed in this really fine purple tunic with the same gold embroidery or very similar level of skill. But instead of the really impressive figure that his father cuts, he just has kind of a flat overall effect in the room and he sort of stands half behind his dad almost shoving himself into the corner upon entering in the room everyone in the room does the traditional bow and the man the older man introduces himself as Rubedo of Ora Crado that's not intentionally rhyming but here we are Rubedo of Ora Crado and his son is Urberto. Any merchant in the world would know that Orokredo is the city at the center of the sea and probably the greatest city on the planet that civilization has ever seen. It is a huge trading hub, a huge shipping hub. It's the the city that the world revolves around. I see. Urberto says, it's, it's lovely to finally meet you. This is my son, Roberto. Roberto, introduce yourself. And Roberto does his bow. Hello. Uh, you can just call me Bert or Roberto. Uh, that's what my, for that is what my friends call me. And, and I do hope to be friends. And he bows dramatically and he has perfect manners, but you're not super impressed, I don't think. Is that
2: the same high voice of
0: the the whizzing gentle sir? It does ring, it does ring a bell for you. In fact, you kind of narrow your eyes and your mother steps forward and she uh, looks at you and is like, giving you a look of like, uh, say something. Hi, I'm Shira. Uh, nice to meet you. Your mother does not look super pleased with this. (laughs) Turns back to them and is like, oh my, it's so good to meet you finally. We've heard so much. Uh, Shira, as you would know from his name, Rubedo is the greatest potion maker in the inner sea, if not the entire world. And we have admired your potion making here at our pottery shop for years. Uh, My wonderful daughter, I'm sure she is, she... Would love to show your son around tomorrow, maybe when you've rested up after dinner. And and once you've had a chance to settle in from your travels, because we really do appreciate you coming so far. And she does a little bit of like a, almost like a Vanna white arm display towards you when she talks about how wonderful you are and how she, you're going to like show the son around. And while she does that, she, she shoots you a little bit of a look of like, say the wrong thing and die in her eyes.
2: Knowing that she means business, I'll kind of like straighten up and do a little curtsy, but (laughs) I still don't really understand why this is going
0: on. (laughs) All right. I am going to now roll a diplomacy check to see if they have charmed your family at dinner. Um, So you're going to all sit down to dinner and eat a homemade meal that your mom made. A fairly normal feeling meal for you, but a little, like she pulled out a couple extra stops, like normally in your house, you're used to being fed. It's not like you are strapped as a family, but instead of like a normal meat, potatoes and a vegetable kind of meal with like maybe a glass of wine, this dinner is like, there's an appetizer. There's two desserts. They're all trying to pass it off like, this is a very normal family meal. Apologizing for like, oh, is it too crude and and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. I rolled a five. And oh. because of that, so I gave myself a little bit of a bonus here. We'll say that's an eight. And that is still pretty bad, though, which means that your parents' reaction to them is they think that just over the course of conversation they feel that the son is sort of bland and uninteresting and that the guy is too serious and maybe severe but they literally don't care at the same time and they're super aware that you're being awkward and they like Mm -hmm. literally do not care and are still pushing you as much as they can during dinner to hang out with this son, Bert as much as possible okay so after dinner Rubedo and bert retire to their rented rooms and once they've left and the table has been cleared you hear their carriage take them away your mother and father turn to you and you can tell that they mean business when they do and they say shira can you take a seat at the table i think we need to talk Okay, guys, what's going on? So the two of them are standing, like, above you as you sit, and they don't sit. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, Shira, you're gonna marry that boy. And once we unite with the Rubedo Potion-Making Empire, with our vessels and our luxury pottery, we'll be able to make the best potions this world has ever seen, to be honest. And our advanced corking technology will flourish underneath his master
2: potion making.
0: Our luxury vessels and his luxury potions will create the most fine potion drinking experience that you have ever even put your lips upon. So I'm going to need you to put your lips upon that boy. Mom, dad,
2: are you crazy? You want me to get married to that bland
0: dude like i saw him take a whiz in the woods shira we love you so much but it's time to grow up when we're not here anymore it's important that you and our shop are taken care of and ideally our shop would be taking care of you and in this situation he's nothing but courteous but courteous isn't enough He's very well off, and you'll live a very comfortable life. And that's what matters. I know you have these childish notions of adventure, and it, I, I, maybe you think we haven't noticed what you get up to during the day, but it's time to grow up. Mom, this is so unfair. Why You got to marry dad. Why can't I choose
2: that for myself? It shouldn't come from some sort of business choice
0: that you guys want to make for me. I'm not going to sit here and listen to you try to compare my life and your life when they're as different as they could be. I grew up with nothing and we built this together. Me and your father did. And honestly, that is just a completely different situation where you have grown up with a silver spoon in your mouth and you should be thanking us for taking care of you the way that we are. We are making sure that your future is set and And honestly, and our future is too. It's a a two-way street. And I do not see what the problem is with this boy. Bert was kind and you don't even, you're writing him off without even knowing him. He's boring. I, like, this is so
2: unfair. You care more about your business than you do your own daughter. Dad, do you have
0: anything to say about this? Oh, I'm staying out of it. But I agree with your mother. Sometimes I have a hard time with words, given the way that I speak so strangely. (laughs) That's it. I I don't
2: think I can take this anymore. I I refuse to marry Bert. I am not
0: going to enable your strange potion plans. And I'm done. Shira, don't be talking nonsense. Now, we're all getting a little hot-headed here. And maybe what we need to do is sleep on it. And in the morning, you're going to hang out with Bert and just spend some time with him. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised, but let's just sleep on it. Let's cool our heads and we'll talk about it more tomorrow. Okay, Mom. So do you you go to bed?
2: I am going to, like, go up to my room, but pace around and slowly come to the conclusion
0: that I'm going to steal away. So as you're pacing, uh, give me a perception check.
2: It's a two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I'm very perceptive right now. I'm in a blind rage. We'll go with that.
0: Okay, so you're in a blind rage. And the only thing you can think about right now as you're pacing is just how unfair everything is. Mm -hmm. And one thing in particular stands out to you. It's that your mother said that, like, it was already agreed upon. They made this whole decision already. Like, it's set. Yeah, bringing Bert to meet you was not like, oh, maybe this will work out. It's like almost a courtesy. Yeah, it's like the paperwork is done. And as you think about that, you just keep thinking they probably have already even raised a dowry and it's probably in their, in the house somewhere. They've probably already gotten like a, like a literal contract going with this other company and they just need you to say yes for their business plans to go forward. So that's, that's what you're huffing to yourself about. Yeah. I'm curious what you're going to do next.
2: I think I am going to have a a sudden moment of inspiration and say, hey, they probably already have a dowry set aside for me. I bet I can find it. I don't think my parents are very imaginative where they're hiding it. What if I took my dowry, said, fuck you, parents, stole it, and went with my bow and arrow and, and just find adventure?
0: all right so thinking about that you would know pretty much immediately that your parents keep all of their important stuff and they put it all in a safe behind the shrine of abadar that is in their bedroom so abadar as you also know is the true neutral god of commerce and merchants Mm -hmm. and they've got a like kind of like a mini shrine like In their bedroom and behind a false panel in that, on like the plinth, there's essentially a safe. And in there, that's where they put everything. If if you have a dowry, it's going to be in there.
2: Okay. So I'm going to try and hatch some kind of plan to go and
0: steal that. So your place is not particularly large. They're going to be probably in their bedroom and it is night. So your mom might be cleaning up in the kitchen, but... Your dad is for sure in the bedroom.
2: Okay. Can I check really quick and see if he's asleep or not? Or like how far along my mom
0: is in cleaning the kitchen? Is she going to
2: be down there for a while?
0: Are you trying to sneak past your mom and for her not to know that you're up and about? Well, I think
2: I just want to figure out if I want to wait until everyone's asleep or try and catch it where there's only one person who
0: might get woken up. So... Let's have you do a stealth roll to get to your father's door and like listen.
2: Yeah, I did a four. So I think that's a no.
0: So you stepped on a creaky board and your mom from the kitchen goes, honey, you feeling better? No, mom. I was just uh, going to the bathroom. Okay. Think about it. It's your whole future. thanks (laughs) (laughs) all right now what what are you gonna do I'm going
2: back into my room and I'm going to like start kind of prepping like things to get ready and go
0: but I'm gonna wait until everyone's asleep so you're like creating like a little bit of a go bag yeah all right any key items that you're putting in there
2: Um, I'm going to leave the fancy ass shoes that I was wearing tonight behind, but I'm going to pull out my sort of like worn leather boots. I'll be wearing those. I'll have my bow and arrows, obviously. I've got a cloak, sort of a traveling cloak that I'll bring with me. I don't have any food up in my room. I'll have to get that before I leave. But I've got some trinkets here and there that I can like barter with if push comes to shove an extra change of clothes. I'm I'm not messing with any of this dress shit. I'm going to take like pants and tunics and things like that.
0: Okay. All right, so you pack it takes you, you know, a little while. You definitely are giving it some thought and eventually it's about midnight and you're staying up and you can tell that your house has gotten quiet. Your parents tend to go to bed fairly regularly like around 10 11 p.m. and they wake up fairly early to set the shop up and mm-hmm. they they are always working from at least 8 a.m. forward. So they they're definitely asleep by now. Give me another perception check. Sure. I got a 13 this time. Okay, so with a 13, you do Notice that the way that your window functions and all the windows on your house function, there's a fairly large ledge mm-hmm. above them. You have dormer style windows mm-hmm. for all of the bedrooms on your house. So if you wanted to, you could definitely go across the roof to get into their bedroom. Ah. Although that sounds a lot more complicated than just going in through the door, which you know, like, they don't really lock their bedroom door. Like, mm-hmm. you definitely get in that way as well. Yeah. H-
2: how close is the window to the little false panel behind the shrine to Abadar?
0: It's closer. Okay. And the, the Abadar shrine is in the corner. I think I want to go ahead and try the
2: the window ledge roof path.
0: Okay, so we'll do it this way. Let's do a up and down acrobatics roll. Okay. So you're gonna acrobat your way up the roof and across.
2: Can I take a little precautionary move and like take my bed sheet and tie it around my waist and tie it to like the ledge of my window just so like if I do slip it's going to like catch me. That makes sense. Yeah.
0: Okay. We're gonna do that. And I do imagine, I imagine the buildings in this section of town to be very pointy-roofed sorts of buildings. And that's why they they have those dormered windows. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of imagining sort of like a Shakespearean village with, like, the pointy roofs and the stuff. Not so much thatched, but pointy. hmm Okay. Okay. So I'm going to do my acrobatics check. And I got a nine. Okay. Yeah. So good thing you tied yourself... Up, yeah. So I think the way this will go is that with a nine, you're feeling good about yourself. You get out on the ledge and you hoist yourself up to the top of your little dormer window, and you get to the top of the roof where where it hits the the apex, and you get up there. And it's it might have misted a little bit overnight. Okay, it's slipperier than you than you expected. And once you're up there, you have a little bit of an experience like a like a cat stuck in a tree (laughs) where you're like, oh, holy fuck. I am shit. I am at the top of a roof with a bed roll with like a bed sheet tied around me. And that's only, you know, a couple of feet long. What the fuck am I doing here? What am I doing? So you're you're paralyzed at the top of the roof. Okay.
2: Let's go the more conventional route and come back down and try and go in the bedroom door.
0: <laughs> so I'm going to be mean on this one. Okay. Because I think it's good. So I'm going to say you're paralyzed at the top and you basically, it, it is as difficult for you to go down towards them as it is to go back towards your bedroom. Except that you have a little, I mean, like maybe you feel emotionally better about the the sheet. If you go towards your room, so I'm gonna make you do an acrobatics roll either way.
2: Okay. Well, if that's the case, then what the hell? Let's try to get to my parents' room. Okay. Let's see it. All right.
0: Twenty. Oh. <laughs> okay. Cool. So with so you get up there, you have a moment of like sheer panic, and then you gather yourself and slide down the roof and you catch the ledge and you really like, you you stick the landing once you've built your confidence up. And so, you know, they might've heard a little tiny bit of a thud, but you're on top of the dormer window and you climb down to the ledge fairly easily. Cool. Okay, so as you listen at the window, you can hear them snoring. The classic, that's how you know your parents are Slate kind of moment. The The walls are paper thin in your house. The windows are not locked. I'm just going to say you, you lift it because they regularly open the windows because in fantasy world, there's no air conditioning. Yeah. So you're able to get in uh, pretty easily and you quietly uh, get inside. You're moving very slowly. You're being very careful, but you like, pretty much cat like silently slide open this uh, fake panel you get into the safe and inside you find a small coin purse that is set aside from what you would recognize as like the regular cash and coins that make up like the, the store cash box so there there's something else in there
2: okay so I'm gonna assume that that is my dowry all right I'm going to go ahead and open it here just because I'm curious what they think I'm
0: worth. So in the moonlight, you see the coin purse and it's just packed full of gold coins. counted out in it and you look at it and you are like, this is actually kind of a lot of money. All right. Good job, mom and dad. Another thing that might occur to you is that you would have to have a substantial dowry to... To get these dudes on board. Yeah, to catch the interests of some very fancy dude. Mm-hmm. And you can tell he's
2: fancy because of his purple tunic with the gold blur- embroidery. And his voice. And his voice. And his mutton chops. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Only fancy men have mutton chops. <laughs> That's a fact. That's a science fact. Science fact. All right. So I want you to describe to me what you do next to get out of out of here. Okay. Which way are you going to go? What are you going to do?
2: Well, first I'm going to sort of like look over at my mom and be like, oh, well, they did kind of care about me to raise this sort of money. But on the other hand, they're kind of just looking out for their business. So they might just see this as like a business investment. So I have like a momentary softening of my heart to be like, maybe they do care about me. And then I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. They kind of just care about their stupid pots. And then from there, I'm going to you know, close up the purse. I want to replace the panel, make it look like nothing is amiss. And then, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of split between trying to go out the main bedroom door versus go over the roof. I feel like maybe I tried my luck too much with the roof. I think I'm just going to go out the bedroom door. What are you going to do with those bed sheets? That is a very good question. I'm just curious. I should be able to like reel them back in from my bedroom. I can untie myself and then go to my bedroom and be like, that was a stupid fucking risk and just pull them in from the
0: bedpost. All right, cool. So you've untied it from your waist. You sneak back into your bedroom. You go as slowly and as quietly as you can, I'm just going to reuse your most successful recent roll, um, and you uh, make it into the room. You pull your your sheets back across the roof again, and now you've got your dowry. You've got your go bag. Uh, where are you gonna? What are you gonna do now?
2: Um, I think I'm going to pack all of that up, and then I want to give myself as much time as possible to get as far away as i can so i'm gonna like wedge my door closed with the the chair from my desk so that my parents just think i've like barricaded myself in the room from like i don't know the vapors or something and then i guess in order to keep myself keep the the barricade i'll 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 reuse the bed sheets and try and shimmy down the window
0: all right, let's do an acrobatics check for how successfully you shimmy out of your bedroom window. Oh shit, wait, no, I need to get food. I mean, you also have a bunch of gold,
2: you could buy food. That's true, that's a good point. Okay, I'm just gonna go ahead and shimmy. Let me roll real quick. So my roll hit some things on the table I'm sitting
0: at here. What'd you get? It was an eight. <laughs> okay, I'll, don't worry about it. So you got an eight. And I'm just going to say, you did it, but not very gracefully. You sort of started, you start to acrobatic silks your way down, like, haha. <laughs> so confident. Yeah, so confidently, especially after your sick roof slide earlier. But then you lose your grip a little bit. And so when you're about halfway down, you just get really tired, essentially, and slide and just kind of slam into the ground a little harder than you anticipated. And so you kind of hit your butt on the cobblestone.
2: Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: And the sheet is probably left sticking out of your open window, fluttering in the wind.
2: Yeah. So they're probably not going to notice that I'm gone until either they step outside or they have a customer come in being like, yo, what's up with the sheet?
0: Yeah, definitely. Alright, and so Shira, a merchant's daughter chose a life of adventure and she flees the city in the middle of the night
2: Yeah